You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you the start of a new year. I know that many of us were kind of hoping and a lot of different ways that this year would look a little bit different as we began it together. I know a lot of us were hoping for different things in work, in home, in politics, in uh, church, in health. A lot of things are not where we wish they were. A lot of things are not as we would like to make them be. But His mercy reigns. Amen. He is good. He's always good. And I want to take us back. I, I, be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of COVID. Are you? I'm tired of it. I know we're not done with it. I know we're not over it. I don't pretend to take it lightly. There's been a lot of folks that we love and care about who have gone on to be with the Lord. A lot who have gone on to not be with the Lord for some of us. It's been a hard year. We began about a month before we got hit with the lockdown of COVID-19 with pressing forth a path for our church that's not a new path, but an old one. One that has been called the way by Christians before they were known as Christians. It's the path of leading a life that looks like Jesus And all we do, all we think, all we say, all we believe. It's not an easy path, for he said that the way is narrow. There are few who find it. The way is difficult, but it is the only way. So way before the Mandalorians were using that phrase, our Lord used it when talking about himself, when he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. The early church talked about the way. It's what it was called again before they were deemed Christians. That word was given by outsiders. Paul referred to them as they were kind of calling themselves in Acts chapter 9 before Paul was redeemed when he was persecuting the church. It says he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest And it says, he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I get emotional thinking about it and focused a lot on the missional work being done around the world and how many are being brought bound to trial and death because of their faith and their promulgation of the gospel. Acts 19, after Paul had been redeemed, he says he entered the synagogue. For three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Jesus says he is the way. The church then called themselves the way. They were referred to by those around them as the way. It's all over the scriptures and Acts. And at some point down the line, we see they begin to be called Christians, little Christs, 
But I've always preferred the way, personally, because it means a lot more than just a label. Something you do, it's a path you're on, it's not ending, it's a journey. That sounds a lot more like the Christian path that Jesus has deemed the path of righteousness. As we stated on February 16th, 2020, our way, the mission we're on, is helping people become apprentices of Jesus. Because Jesus said, we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that God has commanded us, all that Jesus commanded us, and he'll be with us always. The active part there, as we talked about that time, was go make disciples, make disciples. And the word we use for that now, really, that's a, the best word in our vernacular, is the word apprentice. Apprentices in the way, the way of Jesus. Our mission, helping people become apprentices of Jesus, the way we do that, our strategy is threefold, the way I'm going to lay it out today, and it comes directly from the scriptures, and there's one verse in particular. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to be the exact same passage we ran a month before COVID-19 wrecked us, because I'm calling us back to the same old ways that Jesus set forth, the same thing Stephen preached last week that leads into this, the gospel, and what it means for us. And you're going to hear some similar things. If you went back and listened on February 16th last year, which I don't advise you to go do. I mean, you can, but you're going to hear some of the same stuff. That's because we forget and we get off track. And these three pieces of the whole that we're going to talk about today is just like our bodies or like any good system. When one of those major systems and a greater system is out of whack, things don't work like they should, and that system becomes unhealthy. So we've got to constantly be checking the system and making sure that we're in the place we need to be, making sure we're doing what we need to do, making sure the systems are in order. And there's three systems we're going to cover today, looking at Matthew chapter 4, mainly verse 19, but let us read it together and I'll pray for us. But as I do, let me remind us of this. If all three of these are not in place and functioning properly, we are not walking in the way of Jesus properly. So let us read with eyes to see and ask the Lord to give us ears to hear. Matthew four eighteen through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let me ask for the Lord's grace. Father, we need you every hour, Lord, we need you. Such a time as this that we need you to illumine our minds and our hearts to shape us as we dwell in your presence and to know you in your word. You'd form us more into the image of your son, Jesus, helping us become like him so that we might do what Jesus did. Lord, we love you. We need help loving you more. Lord, we want to follow you. We need your grace and mercy to lead us. We need you to shape us that we might live our lives in a way, the way, 
Jesus' way, that we give you honor and glory and bring the utmost joy to our lives as we serve you and serve our neighbors. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a diagram for you. It's going to help us out here. Look at verse 19 with me in your Bibles. And I want you to see all illustrations fail at some point, so don't get too caught up in the diagram. There's plenty of chinks in the armor here. But look at verse 19 with me. It's there on the screen, just the part we're going to look at Jesus' words there. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Say it out loud with me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. One more time. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to do a little bit of talking today. You ready for that? I'm going to, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Y'all get some of what he's got. I'm going to set you up. Are you ready? All right, here we go. There's a few times today where I'm going to say this is the way of Jesus, and you're all going to respond by saying this is the way. Okay? Some of you will get that. Some of you will find out later. It's okay. If you're a Star Wars fan, you probably already know. But this is Jesus' way. We're not talking about Star Wars today. We're talking about Jesus. So I'm going to practice right now. This is the way of Jesus. There you go. Doing a great job. Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a diagram here that you see on your screens right now. It breaks this down into three parts. Follow me, being with God. Presence. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. Follow me, being with God, presence. And I will make you, that's becoming like Jesus, God doing the work, formation is the word we'll use for that. Presence and formation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, doing what Jesus did. That's our mission. So presence, being with God, formation, becoming like Jesus, Mission, doing what Jesus did. Follow me, be with me, and I will make you, I'm going to form you, I'll make you into the image of Christ, fishers of men, so you can do what I did. This is the way of Jesus. Some of you are slow, you're catching on. Okay. All three of these must be working together. Look at this. All three of these must be working together. You see the red in the diagram? That's to show you that if only two of those systems are working, it's an unhealthy system. If one of those are working, it's dark. Because none of them, if one of them's working, they really, that one probably not even working either. But if you only have two, it's not working. You try to be a healthy person when your renal system is failing. You try to be a healthy person when everything else is great, but your vascular or cardiac system is failing you. Or when your neurological system is failing, but everything else is prime shape. Okay, if one of these little, we have to think about it in this like linear way, but if one of those systems of the greater whole is not working, things are not healthy. It doesn't mean you can't function, but it means you're not where you sh- are made to be originally. And a lot of times there's not a lot you can do about that, is there? Some of you have been in that situation lately in the last year or so. But all three of these must actively be ongoing or we are not healthy Christians. And the great part about this is, is that by God's grace, he does all the heavy lifting for us. We just get to respond 
and be a part of it. Let's break it down. Matthew 4.19, and he said to them, follow me. Presence, being with God. Being with God is the greatest good we could ever experience. And if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, then maybe you don't know the God I'm talking about. Being with God is the greatest good we could ever experience. That's not talking down to you. That's saying, brother, sister, if you haven't experienced a God like that, maybe you don't know the God of the Bible yet. Maybe you know some things you've been taught. Maybe you've heard a lot about him, but you don't know him. You're not in his presence. Because if you've already believed on Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, if he's redeemed you, this God is in your presence right now. He is in our midst as we gather as believers, and he is with us here. We cannot ignore you, Lord. You are present with us. If we've been redeemed There's nothing we can say that would make you leave us alone because you are holding us in your hand. You do not waste the blood of your son. You bought us with the precious blood of Christ. We are yours. You are with us. We will always remain with you. Thank you, Lord. With him. Genesis 1, Adam and Eve made. God dwelled with them. Genesis 3, they rebelled. He cast them out of his presence. The rest of the Bible is about him saying, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to fix this. The very end, Revelation 21, that's exactly what we see happening in the picture that's to come. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And he will, he himself, God himself will be with them as their God. God's ultimate desire for us is for us to be in his presence, unhindered by our sin made into the image of Christ perfectly. This is the end of the gospel. The end of the gospel is not that you get to heaven. The end of the gospel is not that you get to walk on streets of gold or have a mansion. The end of heaven is not that you're healed of all your sin. The end of heaven is not that you're healed from all your brokenness. The the, the end of the gospel, I mean, is not that you are getting to see all your family again. Those are good things. Those are glorious things. The end of the gospel is that you get to be with God, period. That's the end of the gospel. That is the ultimate good of the gospel. This is the greatness of the gospel. And if we're satisfied with lesser things, there's a problem in our heart that needs to be fixed. Good news, the Lord's in the fixing business. Today, he wants to fix that in our hearts. It's about being with him. And that call to following Jesus is all-encompassing. Follow me. It changes everything. Those guys were defined. It says right there in verse 18, for they were fishermen. That was what they were defined by. After this moment, they're defined by followers of Jesus being a part of the way. Not their career, but by who they know. Sons of Zebedee, No longer called by that anymore. A lot of people don't even know that's their last name. 
and know them as disciples of Jesus. It's all-encompassing. It changes everything. You know, before I got married, I used to say with my friends that I don't know if I want to get married because who wants an old ball and chain where you have to, like, make all your decisions together and you got to give up some options. It's all about compromise and, man, being with one person the rest of your life, I thought that was a lot to think about, you know? Like, is there really somebody like that you want to be that way with the rest of your life? And I was talking to a professor in a much more redeemed way as a Christian at this point, though, and I was just talking about how hard it is to figure it all out, you know? And he looked at me and he laughed and he just, he had a story much like mine and, and he said to me at seminary, he said, um, he said, man, it's, it's the opposite of a ball and chain, man. It's freedom. Said, what? <laughs> Blew my brain. Some explosions happening, right? I said, what do you mean freedom? He said, you're saying ball and chain. People talk about like a ball and chain or something. Like, he said, you think you're being tied down. You think you're losing some rights. He said, when you get married and you covenant before God in a biblical way with one other person, what you are doing is you are entering into a relationship where you can be the most real you've ever been in any relationship, and you're still loved and accepted for who you are, even though God's working on you to change you. But you find freedom in that relationship to actually be who God made you to be, and your spouse helps you in that redemption process, sanctification process, and God works on you, and God shapes you, but you can be exactly who you are. No more hiding your sin from somebody. You can be totally who you are, knowing that you're being redeemed and sanctified, and you can find freedom in that. You don't have to worry about hiding anything anymore. You want freedom, get married. That's a small picture of the gospel. You want freedom. You want holistic healing to happen. You want to be accepted for who you are, even though you don't deserve to be accepted. Meet Jesus and follow him. Be with him. He's calling for you to be with him. It means you've got to give up some things. It means you've got to give up some things like your right to choose the path. You don't see the disciples with Jesus going, hey, guys, come over here. Where are we going? Where do you want to go today? No, no, no. You gave up that right. You died on the cross. You give up your right to choose the path. It includes our willful death daily. Jesus describes it. He says in Luke 9, 23, he said, And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He says, Die to self daily and follow me. It may be excruciating, right? Follow me. Daily. Die to self. So it includes losing some things, but it includes gaining a lot more. Following Jesus means being nourished with the living water and the bread of life daily as you abide in his presence. Being filled with something that's deeper than food. It's more filling than drink. It includes true freedom of not having to hide in your sin. Jesus says in John 8, Verse 31 and 32, he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, live with me, presence with me, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. For he is the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by him. It includes freedom in that way. It includes true acceptance and eternal forgiveness. This is good things. As far as the east is from the west, so far has our sin been removed from us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Amen? That is good. We no longer have to worry about it anymore. Just this week, I was spending some alone time in the woods. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Staring off into the 
great darkness looking to see something come through. My mind began to wonder and think on things that led my heart to sin, a little bit of angst in my heart, thinking about things and folks and ways I don't need to be. And the Lord convicted me. I repented. I found myself even last night, though, as I was preparing more on this message that I went to the Lord again and repented of that same sin. And then he reminded me right here, 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's what Paul says. If he's the worst sinner, right? He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, in that moment, God reminded me, I've already forgiven you, Thomas. Don't keep dwelling on that repentance for that sin. You repented. I forgive you. You see, we we like to think that we're running headlong into sin and that God's way far off. He is right there. We've just turned our back to him. The moment you repent and turn around, there he is as a father to pick you up and embrace you and to wash away your sin with that blood of Christ that was poured out 2,000 years ago. Gone, as far as the east is from the west. What a glorious God we serve. Even when we think we're far from him, He's right there in our presence. Just turn your eyes to him. Be with him. It includes fullness of joy. At his right hand are joys, pleasures forevermore. That's where Jesus resides, by the way. This is the way of Jesus. Some of you thought about it and hesitated. Don't hesitate. Give another one quicker in a minute. Being with God in his presence is the ultimate good we could ever enjoy. And he's already made the way possible for us. And we were never even made to live this life alone. You know what? The presence that we see here, Jesus looks to the disciples, plural, and he says, follow me, and they come follow him together. We're meant to do that together, not alone. We're made to be in God's presence with one another, an eternal faith family. That's why we call ourselves a family for families. Mark 3, 31 through 35, Jesus says this. His mother and his brothers came. They're standing outside. They sent to him. They called him. And the crowd was sitting around him. They said to him, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's good, isn't it? Do you know the word Adelphoi, Adelphos, the word for brother? is used over 200 times in the New Testament to refer to Christians. Over 200 times. More than the word Christian. That's because we're a family, brothers and sisters, with all the warts and all the bad that come with the good. And we love each other and we work things out. And a Christian family doesn't just ignore each other. We face each other and we work it out because we love each other because Christ loved that person enough to die for them, so we're going to do our best to do the same. We've been adopted into God's family. This is the way of Jesus. That's right. It is the way. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you. Formation. So being with God, becoming like Jesus. Notice the language. Who's the one making? Who is it? 
God's doing it. Jesus says, I will make you. He made us in the beginning. He will make you into what you're supposed to be. And he will fashion you out in the end. I will make you. We're all made to be in his image, to look and act like Jesus, reflecting his glory. That's what needs to be made in his image, to reflect his goodness. But we're all broken image bearers. We don't do it very well. Not many of us, I would say, probably look like Jesus very often, do we? The people walk around and go, gosh, was that Jesus I just ran into? That must have been Jesus. Look, mommy, Jesus. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) I don't know about you. Some of you are way more holy than me, but I don't know. But thankfully, God is the one who has done and who will do all the heavy lifting in our transformation to shape us into the image and form of Jesus. Isn't that good news? I will make you. Like he says in the Old Testament to Ezekiel 36, 26 and on, God says, listen to who's doing the work. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's the actor there? God is the actor there. That's good news, brothers and sisters. That means the things that we can't do as spiritually dead people, God's going to do for us. The things that we can't do as young, immature Christians, God's going to do for us. Now, we've got to work with him on that as a sanctification process. And he's the one that does all the saving, but then he uses us in the process to shape us and change us. And we've got to obey. And when we disobey, we turn away and we quench the Holy Spirit. But it's a process, yes, but he's doing all the heavy lifting. Our job is turn our eyes back to Jesus. Everything falls into place. Notice the commands. Finally, we say this, 2 Corinthians 3.17, to drive that point home. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And all, we all, with unveiled face, that means we don't have to cover our face. We have the Holy Spirit that's made us redeemed. We can stand in the presence of God, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that's passive, we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We stare into the face of God, in the person of Jesus, and it changes us. He changes us as we fix our eyes on the Savior. You know why it's so hard? Because we keep going back to the the grunge, to the grime. The hard part is just looking back up at the Father. This is the way of Jesus. Thank you. This is the way. We are commanded to join him, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do he say? Pick up your cross and follow me daily, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship is to die on the cross every day. That's it. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The way you choose will determine the God you worship. You hear that? The way you choose. The way you choose will determine the God you worship. Conform to the world or transform by the renewal of your mind. A living sacrifice to one or to the other, but you can't be a living sacrifice to two gods. Our God is a holy, jealous God who deserves all of our worship. 
He will not tolerate us worshiping something else. It is not acceptable worship to split our worship between two gods, a lesser and the real one. And this kind of work, being transformed in the mind, this includes learning about God, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to do. Good news, brothers and sisters. Starting in two Wednesdays, we're going to start a class at 6 p.m. in this room for anybody who wants to come where you can live stream it. And we're going to be going through some doctrines about who God is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. Some of them are difficult. We're calling it, I believe, difficult doctrines. We're going to study the scriptures. We're going to work through it together. We're going to talk about it. If you're here in our presence, we'll be able to converse about it. Because we want to know God. Make no mistake, though. Let us beware the quicksand of intellectualism. For some of us, you probably don't even need to come to that class because you know so much about God, yet we don't look very much like him often, do we? Just accumulating information in the brain is what we've kind of taught in the West. We've taught churchgoers that that's what it means to be a Christian. Show up, get a lesson, get taught. Today we're teaching. Transfer of information. That is not the way of Jesus, by the way. A transfer of information happens. The way of the apprentice is this. Apprentices don't gather up in a classroom and sit in a classroom for X number of years and then go out and do the job. It's on-the-job training. You're doing the work as you learn the work, hanging out with the master. That's what it means. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Come with me. I'm going to show you how to fish for men. I'm going to make you into a fisherman for men. I'll make you into an apprentice. So let us beware of that intellectualism that leads us to a bad place. We're called to know all there is to know about God from his word. Yes, let us endeavor to do so. But knowing about God is not enough. Just like knowing about your spouse is never enough. Well, I know your favorite thing is this. Why don't you ever give it to me? I know you'd like to be in bed by this hour. Well, then why don't you help me make it happen? I know you love pancakes for breakfast. Why haven't you made any in 10 years? Knowing about someone is not enough. Knowing about them is just part of knowing them. It's not all. To really know God, we need to be present with him. This is the way of Jesus. You mean that? Say it like you mean it. This is the way of Jesus. Being with him. Walking with Him. Knowing God and being with God. This is the path to becoming like Jesus. We have to stop being church goers and start being apprentices to Jesus. Walking with Him, learning from Him, becoming like Him. Jesus leads us down that path. And all His disciples do the same. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him, that means being with Him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that's an indictment on my own heart. Colossians 3. If you then have been raised with Christ, that should be everyone here, if you've been putting your hope and faith in Jesus, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things that are above, 
Let us not get caught up in the things that are tertiary or temporary. The only thing that's going to matter 100 years from now is whether or not you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and whether or not anybody else that you know knows him too. That's all that's going to matter. Everything else is going to fall away. All the trophies, all the things we've amassed, gone. 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. See, that's actively happening, but we're passively here. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I preached that same, same exact passage referring to this same passage a year ago almost. February 16th. Who in the world could have known we would have been enduring what some of us have endured through COVID-19 season? Who would have known the losses we would have incurred at that point? This affliction that we've endured that's changed our lives. And would we now call it a light affliction? A momentary affliction? It ain't even over yet, is it? Paul says, in the leading of the Holy Spirit, so God's saying, for this light momentary affliction It's got a purpose. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. For the things that are unseen, eternal. This stuff we're going through, as horrible as it is, will pale under the weight of the glory of being in the presence of God as He shapes us into the image of Christ. As we get to be with Him forever and ever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that this is the way of Jesus. It is. Isn't it good? Isn't he good to us? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not just hanging out with Jesus. A lot of us are good at hanging out with Jesus. We'll read our Bibles, we'll do our devotion, we'll come and hang out with other people, and we'll learn some things. We call it formation. It may not always be formation. Just because you get information doesn't mean there's transformation happening. I hope you realize that, right? We get that. How many of us set in calculus and can't remember calculus? How many of us set in eighth grade grammar and can't remember a lot of eighth grade grammar? Right? We can sit in God's presence and we can do things we call formation type things. But if we're not doing what Jesus did, there's a misfiring system and we are not healthy. It's just the truth. I know it seems overwhelming, especially in a season where we can't even, I'm supposed to be together. I'm supposed to be each other's presence more than six feet without a mask for more than 15 minutes. Even then, you've got to quarantine. It's hard. I ain't saying it's easy. Probably a lot harder in China before COVID than being a Christian, though. Where you get hauled off. It's probably a lot harder in other places where I've met people who have been tortured for their faith. I'm no saint. Those are some saints. But the mission hadn't changed, brothers and sisters. We're back here in this spot today because it's time that even though COVID's not over, I'm not saying we act like it is. It's a real thing. It's very big. It's bad. I get it. It's not over. But the mission has not stopped. 
Our mission has never stopped. It's the same path that's been going on for 2,000 years, for millennia now. The same path. It's the same way. It's the same direction. It's the same goal. Jesus says, Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Over the next seven weeks, we are going to help one another as we learn about some of the practices of the way of Jesus. We're going to learn about the practices that Jesus did that we're supposed to do, doing what Jesus did, becoming fishers of men. We're going to learn about these practices together over the next seven weeks. It's going to be weird because I don't know how many times you've heard a sermon series based off spiritual practices, but I've personally never done one. It's going to be hard. Bear with me. Let's work together and see if God will shape us more into the image of Christ as we hang out together with him. And let us do what Jesus did. Charles Spurgeon, you know I'm going to hit him every once in a while. He's not scripture. He says some scriptural type things. And he says in one of his sermons that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That hurts me really bad. I can't tell you the number of times that I've misfired, failed to fire. An opportunity has been in my path that God has nudged me by his Holy Spirit and I denied it. I quenched the Holy Spirit. One of those times was upon me a couple days ago. I just got done picking up some wood. I was really itching to use this chainsaw that I've got, but I couldn't because I didn't have any wood to go cut. I was getting some gas for it anyway because I was going to try it out in my own little woods next to me with some little trees. Sorry if you like trees a lot. They were the thorny kind. That makes it better. As I was trying to get the gas, pure gas, no ethanol, and I was get at this one pump. There's a guy down the way from me. He was getting diesel. He had a way bigger truck. Had a little envy going on. It was really nice. He was going really slow at the pump. I looked over. I said, hey, man, uh, you got the same trouble I've got. Is it going slow today? He's like, oh, it's horrible. I mean, I, by the time we talked, it had gone like 0.2 gallons, you know. So we're just waiting. And we started talking for me. He looked over and we started to drive off and saw the wood in the back and um, saw me getting gas. He said, hey, you need some more wood? I was like, yeah, I'd love some more wood. And so he followed me to my house right down the street. So I went down the road with him, ended up seeing all these trees. He had just been, like, cutting down some trees, moving stuff around. I said, I'll be back. Went, came back, cut up a bunch of trees, hung out with this guy. At the end, I, I, I was, like, feeling the pressure. I got to get home. My wife's with the kids. She's probably losing her mind by now. They thought I'd be home a lot earlier. That's because she's sane, but, I mean, you got five little ones going crazy. You know what I mean? And so I was trying to get out of there, and this guy would not let me go. He kept talking to me, and I didn't want to be rude, so I'm talking to him, right? And the Holy Spirit, like, one point I'm about to back out, and I'm trying to move my foot, and it's, it might as well have been a, a two-by-four slap me in the head. Don't you? Don't you move. Listen. Sorry, listen. And at one point, I got to get to Jesus, and it was atrocious. Let me tell you, I did not do it well. Awkward, painful. It's like watching a wreck if you've been driving by, like, ugh, you know. The Holy Spirit did that. I wasn't obedient. He arrested me. That's how much He loves us. He loves you so much, He won't let you stay like you are. He loves you so much. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He loves you so much 
And he wants you just to set your eyes on him and let him do the hard work. He loves you so much that he sent his son to come after us, to follow us, to become one of us, to live the life we could not live, to die the death we all deserve on the cross in our place so that we could be made into his image and enjoy him forever. That's the God we serve. That's the way of Jesus. This is the way. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Be with me, God says. Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Presence, formation, mission. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way. Let this be our way. Let us go forth from here, spilling out of the way to others. And let us live in remembrance of that everywhere we go and speaking highly of the one who's done so much for us and loved us so much that he went high on the cross and died the death deep into death that we deserve under the wrath of God in our place. May he be lifted up. May he be glorified. May our church be the old way. This is the way of Jesus. Father, we need you. We need your kindness. We need your glory. We need your everlasting arms around us. For Lord, we know that you are present with us now. That we are with you, whether we want to be or not. Some days, Lord, we act like we don't want you. I know I do. But Lord, you are with us. We want to love you. Help us love you, Lord. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. And Lord, for those who are here or are watching for the first time and hearing the gospel and you're, press, you're pressing into their heart, you're, you're taking that heart of stone and you're ripping it out of them, Lord, would they be led by your spirit to repent and believe in Jesus now? Lord, let a moment not go by that they would not become yours now. And Lord, let us not veer off the way is the only way, for you are the way. You are the only way, Lord. The way, the truth, the life, nobody comes to you but through your son, Jesus. Let Jesus be our way, Father. Lead us, guide us, make it our way. That you might be made much of. That we might be filled with joy and that people might come to know you because you put us on the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. And I ask that in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.